right, advertiser time. So, first off, our OG sponsor, Sinister Jerky. Use code KINGDOM, that's K-I-N-G-D-O-M, at checkout at www.sinisterjerky.com. Grab yourself a nice little discount. And also, this podcast is powered by Balls Garara. Grab life by the balls. And with that said, let's go on with the podcast. Hey, everybody. Uh, today's show is going to be a little bit different pace. Um, yeah, you know, I, I just went through something that was kind of, it hit me pretty good. And I, I know this episode's not going to appeal to anyone. I think it won't appeal to anyone because it kind of goes away from what the target audience is. We usually keep it light. We usually keep it fun. We usually talk about gaming and people in the scene. And it's just going to be me talking about heavier stuff today. So I'm, I would be happy if you would come along with this little talk. It's one of those things where even if you don't like the subject matter, I think we've all had something that has meant something to us that we have lost at one point or another. So if this story isn't likable to you for whatever reason, at least maybe it can be relatable. So with that being said, um, yeah, yesterday I went to the first ever fan generated giveaway at a sports event and a reverse boycott for the Oakland athletics. So, the A's, as they're known, of Oakland have been in the city for 55 years. And I haven't been around that long. But for my whole childhood, they have been a staple. Um, I'm almost 35 years old. I've been going there since I was 4 to 5. And the love of the team started for very funny reasons. My favorite color was green. They're the only team in baseball at the time that had the color green, and they were local, so I was sold. So as I started to learn the sport, I started to realize that this was something that I could actually like talk to my dad about. Like baseball was something he enjoyed, and that was something that he like was a part of him. And we didn't have a lot in common. He grew up in Portugal. He didn't speak the best of English. I grew up here, I didn't speak the best Portuguese, so it was something that we could bond over, it was something that we could enjoy together, it was a shared experience, and that was something that we were able to talk about a lot growing up through my like younger years. We don't really talk so much anymore, and that's a whole different conversation, but yeah, it was definitely, it was, it was a key part of our relationship growing up it was one of those things where I couldn't talk to my dad about much but I could always talk to him about baseball and it's funny how many people I know who have similar experiences with their fathers and insert sports here so that was the first major link to me and the team and then through my interest and love of the team I started getting involved in baseball like little league and stuff that's where I met my best friend. And, uh, yeah, we grew up together. We went to grade school together. We went to middle school together. Our fathers worked at the same cement plants. Like, we were definitely 
two peas in a pot. We were always hanging out, always getting into trouble, always making jokes, doing stupid shit, you know, having a great time. And uh, his mom worked at a place that sold glass that had season tickets to the A's, so they would always, you know, give us tickets when somebody at the glass shop didn't want to go. They'd be like, oh, it's a Tuesday night game? Fuck that. You guys go. Or there's a bobblehead giveaway, and I don't want to go because it's going to be super packed there. You guys go get that Frank Thomas bobblehead for me. Like, you know, shit like that. So we were at the Coliseum a lot growing up, and we had really good seats. Well, we didn't have good seats. The the glass company had good seats, but we reaped the benefits. So we were sitting damn near front row, and we got to meet a lot of players. We got to talk a lot of players. We got to feel like part of the... We we felt like part of the fucking scene at one point. Like when like players are coming up to you and they know you on a first name basis, it's pretty fucking sick. And it's uh, you know people you look up to, like especially when you're younger. It's like these guys are like fucking heroes to you. They're on TV. They're doing fucking ginormous acts, like hitting a fucking three hundred and seventy foot bomb with people on base when they're down. It was to me that was like meeting the Avengers at that age. So. It was definitely a cool experience going with my friend as much as I got to in my formative younger years. Unfortunately, you know, life fucking happens. And when we were working at 16, he had a lot of pain in his leg and he had trouble moving around. They, you know, they did some scans. They found out there was a tumor in there and it was on the bone. So they unfortunately had to cut off his leg. And even after that, we still made our way to the Coliseum. We still drove out there. He got his crutches out, and he would... He was a fucking beast. He would crutch the stadium stairs, and he would get to his seat, and he would have a fucking blast at the games. And, you know, cancer was a reoccurring thing, and it pretty much went until five years later. He survived with it for five years. And then on my 21st birthday, unfortunately, he passed. And for me, the team was, like, very special to me because, you know, that was something we had. I still went to games. It was never the same, though. It it hurt. It was one of those things where it's like, you know, I would go and I would always be like, I'm here with you, man. And it was always one of those things where I'd always buy another ticket so the seat next to me would be empty. Which is, you know people with sentimental thing it's like you know when you soldiers are at a bar and they'll fucking buy a beer for their friend who's no longer there or some shit so you know I, the only reason i'm being as open and i'm saying the stuff i'm saying is i spend a lot of time on this show interviewing other people and asking them to be vulnerable and me myself i don't make myself as vulnerable and as open so this is a peek into my life so, yeah, after he died, like, I still went to games, and it was it was hard. It was, it was hard. Living in my hometown was hard, you know? It's like you, you grow up in a town where everything you do... Oh, hold on. All right, I'm back. Sorry, I had to take care of something. So, yeah, like, everything you do in this town, everywhere you go, every experience you have, from getting a burrito to driving by the beach... It just brings back memories. So after a few years of dealing with that, I just, I I couldn't do it anymore. And I had to get away. And the only thing I could do being a young kid with no real money and no real serious job 
is I joined the military because the military wasn't out. The military was a tool for me to escape my situation. And I am very open about saying I ran away because I did. I mean, shit, if the circus was still around like it was in the old days, taking people, I would have joined the circus. But unfortunately, the circus is no longer as big as it used to be. So I went to the, the thing that would get me out of the state as fast as I could, which was the military. And yeah, being in was great. I learned skills. I made a lot of friends. It was really good for me in a lot of ways. But... At the same time, it's it, it sucks that, well, you know, you talk to everyone who gets in, they're like, I'm in for patriotic reasons, or I'm in for college, and then you feel really selfish when you're like, I couldn't handle my shit, so I'm running away, and potentially putting myself in a life-endangering scenario. So, in I, I deployed to a few countries for a extended amount of time the biggest two of note would be africa and iraq well africa is a continent i spent a lot of time in djibouti let's be let's be a little bit more like you know let's be a little bit more direct i went to djibouti and then i went to a few countries for my job out there and you know the time difference out there was epic compare it was huge i would be waking up at two to three in the morning to listen to A's games on the radio app. And I, I kept that fandom. It was one of those things where it, like, it tied me back home. It was one of the few ties I had. And it was like one of the few things I had left with my friend. Even though he was gone. Because I would just listen to the announcers. And it would bring back memories. And like good awesome times. And you know things progressed and I came back home I settled down I got married I had a kid and I still went to the ballpark and it was a great experience and it was a great time um I'd watch them on tv and the announcers who have been there for a very long time slowly left Ray Fossey died and Glenn Kuyper left due to he uh he accidentally said the n-word on a broadcast and he was let go from the organization. And that also sucked, you know, having so much respect for an announcer that you've pretty much listened to your entire time growing up. And then having the narrative be put out there that, well, I guess you can even say it's a narrative. I, I don't know him. I don't know if he's racist or not. But having all these people say that, you know, he's a racist piece of shit, this, this, and that. It's, uh, I, I never met the man. I just know him as the voice. And, you know, he was like one of the reasons I wanted to do a podcast. Him and Ray Fossey is just like, you know, those were the voices of my childhood. I spent so much time listening to them. And then to hear that, you know, don't meet your heroes, I guess. Well, I never got to meet him, but you know what I mean. So that was, that was kind of rough. And the last few years as a fan have been terrible too. John Fisher took over the team he got full ownership and he used to be a part owner with wolf and every year he has been consistently the lowest payroll in baseball meaning he's putting people up there who are cheap who aren't as good as the other teams and he's had subpar results 
and people have been pissed about it for a long time, and they've been boycotting games. Like, you've seen boycotts be very effective. Like, these people who are very angry about Bud Light, or these people who are very angry about Target and all this other shit, and, you know, they, they fucking boycott an item to show their displeasure, and companies bend to it. Like, I'm not saying it's on the same level. I'm not saying I agree with that rhetoric. Those are just the most recent, like, boycotts I can think of. So, yeah, like, fans didn't want to go to the games because they hate John Fisher, and they were very vocal about, like, hey, this is not okay. We want this to go in a different direction, and it never did. The Raiders left because... They wanted to expand on the stadium, and Fisher wouldn't let them. And the Raiders are creatures of the opportunity. They went in my lifetime. They've gone from Oakland to LA, back to Oakland, and now Vegas. So them leaving didn't really sting because I kind of expected them to. The Warriors, Warriors are originally from San Francisco, so when they went back to San Francisco, I was okay with that too because. Even though, like, most people associate them with Oakland, like, it's not that far away. It's within a 25-mile rate, like, thing. So, like, that didn't hurt too bad. But the A's, they changed their motto, motto, motive, they changed their motto to rooted in Oakland. And they put it on everything to pretty much say to the fan base, we won't leave you like these other guys did. We are loyal. We're here till the end. And as shitty as the team has been for the last few years, they really, like, resonate with people. And the team does, too, even during Moneyball. It's like, we're the little guy, you know, taking on Giants, like the Yankees, taking on the fucking Detroit Tigers, who have been a division, well, not a division, but, like, a playoff rival forever. And now the Houston Astros, which are becoming, like, you know, the big, the big bad in the AL West. So it was cool with that narrative. With the recent things that have gone down in Vegas and things that are being revealed, we have found that John Fisher, while putting this rooted in Oakland thing out, was actively trying to move the team. So it was just kind of like a cloak and dagger thing. And for me, that that, that sucks. Like, how can I support an organization led by a man who's so disingenuous and just so uncaring about the history of the franchise, about the team and the people involved. Like, I get it. I'm just a guy who buys a ticket, gets a seat. But to me, it means so much more than that. But, you know, try to tell that to a billionaire. So the reverse boycott was they picked the night of the week, which was historically, like, you know, the least visited day. The worst attendance day is a Tuesday. Oakland's a working city. It's a blue-collar city. People have jobs, and going to the ballpark on a Tuesday night is not, you know, it's not an easy ask for people in that kind of community. So this day was picked for that reason. Fans came together, and they donated money to get shirts that say sell on there because they wanted John Fisher to sell the team to somebody who would actually invest and actually give a shit and actually work with the city of Oakland. Like, the narrative right now that Manafred, the MLB, I mean, the MLB commissioner is putting out is that they were nowhere close to a deal when in reality they were a few days away from a deal. 
Oakland was just a like negotiation point for Vegas. They were using us as leverage. And once everything fell into place, they walked away. Why would they walk away from that? They never intended to stay in Oakland. They never wanted to stay in Oakland. It was all a dog and pony show to push and force Vegas's hand. And that's why the legislation went through so fast with so many pieces of the pie missing. Which I'm not going to get into the met, like the vast details of that because you guys don't give a shit. And it's very boring. So I'm sure you guys don't want to hear about that. So I'll just continue on with my own personal story. So, you know... They raised so much money, they were able to print 7,000 shirts and hand those off to fans. And at $5 a pop, that was 35 k that they raised in very short notice. And they even had money left over, so they rented taco trucks that came out and distributed food for free. And they had money for live music at the event in the parking lot. So I got there, and it was... You know, driving up, I knew full well that this is my last A's game. This is my last time going to a place that has meant so much to me over the years. And I drove up there in, like, like partying. I drove up there listening to music, fucking rocking out, having a good time, getting hyped for the game. I got there, I fucking swayed. They had a K-pop concert in the adjoining, and, like, in the the old oracle arena at least i think it was in the oracle arena or it could have been in the parking lot i don't know it was like a k-pop concert so it was like i had to swimming through k-pop fans and like rowdy a's fans to get my cell shirt i actually stood in the wrong line i was in a line to like meet a k-pop person that i thought was the cell shirt giveaway thing because i was in the wrong parking lot and it wasn't until i like looked around and realized like hey why is everyone here like 16 17 <laughs> and i was like oh because uh and, and like it was predominantly Asian, but the pitcher for the A's that night, the starting pitcher came from the Japanese baseball league, Mount Fuji, uh, Fujinami. So I thought they were Fujinami fans. I didn't think like it was a K-pop. I didn't even know the concert that was happening that I was K-pop. So I was like, oh, I put two and two together that I went to the right place. Thankfully, I was enough. I was in enough time to get the right you know line and get like the limited edition cell shirt. And then, uh, uh, yeah, I, I, I went to my seat, and the place was the loudest I have seen it in my, like, there was only one other time that I can remember the Coliseum being louder, and that was when the A's swept the Rangers to win the West, and I was lucky enough to be there for all three games. And the coolest thing about the game last night was not that the A's won, was not that people showed up people let out all their frustrations it was a whole party the whole night the coolest thing for me was that the seat next to me was empty that that meant a lot to me the team meant a lot to me the fan base meant a lot to me as you can probably hear in my voice, it's one of those things where you only get so many years on this earth. And if you're lucky, you get some things that are special and near and dear to you. Whether it be, you know, something 
that you might think that other people might think is stupid, like a sports team or a place or a beach or, you know, anything that enter thing here. We all have something. And yesterday and today with the news that Vegas is, like, getting closer and all this stuff, the thing that was near and dear to me is gone. It's all but gone. And then looking at the Manafred things that have come out and him disparaging the fan base and belittling the reverse boycott and trying to pin it all on us and the city and saying none of it was on Fisher, which I'm not going to get too into because, once again, it's boring stuff that you guys probably don't care about. It, that, that was That's rough, too. And I just, I don't know where to go from here. As a fan, as a person who's loved the sport for as long as I have, like, how do I, how do I navigate this? How do I, do I even root for another team? Like, why would I want to support an industry and an organization that does not care about me and has made it very clear they do not care about me? Why would I want to support that but at the same time, it's like, why am I going to deny myself something I love because of a billionaire's penny-pinching bullshit tactics and the MLB trying to save face? It's, um, it's a big question that I still don't know how to answer. So, yeah, you know, that's that's why I've been flooding my timeline with stuff that is probably far off from what you guys are used to, like, you know, funny banter and, like, you know, gaming stuff. But yeah, that's a little bit of insight of fandom for me. And you know what? The drive back from the stadium that night, it was somber. It was quiet. It felt like I was coming back from a funeral. It's just so crazy how different the experience was of going there, super pumped, being with the fans, yelling until I lost my voice, to driving back in absolute silence like I just witnessed somebody die. It's, uh, yeah, I'll probably never forget that. And I hope I never forget that. Because as shitty as all this has been, it's been a lesson of loyalty like I I was loyal to the end and you know what that means a lot when my friend was dying of cancer there was a lot of people who peeled away because it was uncomfortable because it was hard because it sucked but I stuck by and I was there until the last days and I wouldn't trade that for the world and not to be a cheese dick and to quote fucking a Warhammer 40k Primark, but in the words of Lionel Johnson, loyalty is its own reward. And I wouldn't trade any of it for the world. And Vegas, if you were stupid enough to want to get into bed with John Fisher and this management team, then you deserve them. The city of Oakland deserves better. The fans deserve better. We all deserve better.
and MLB, you know what you did. You know what you're covering up. Having stadiums take down signs that fans put up during the game that say sell, editing out crowd noise at the reverse boycott, editing out chants about anti-Fisher stuff, not showing fans with a sell shirt, not even covering the story on the MLB page, but only covering Rob Manford's take that he got directly from John Fisher is so disingenuous and so fucking funny to me that you guys are covering the narrative because you have egg on your face. It's... It's a rough... It's a rough thing to deal with. And, yeah, you know, you can think I'm a bitch, you can... Call me a pussy. You can say I'm a fuck. Oh, you're a liberal, liberal term. You can say whatever the fuck you want, man. All I know is once that shovel hits the dirt in Las Vegas, I don't think I'm ever going to watch baseball again. And I don't want to introduce my, like, I wanted to introduce my children, my two daughters, one who's coming to be like going to be born in a few days my other one who's almost two I wanted to introduce them to baseball I wanted them to I wanted to introduce them to the A's I wanted that to be our thing and that's just not going to happen because why would I want them to fall in love with an organization that doesn't give a fuck about them you know, why Why would I want them to get involved with some, with a, like the MLB and the A's in general under this ownership? Why would I want to set them up for heartbreak? <sighs> yeah, nobody's going to listen to this. Nobody's going to like this episode, but that's that's where I'm at. My cards are on the table. And yeah, I don't think... <laughs> I don't think this is a bad thing to do this, but hey, I guess we'll see. Anyway, uh, on a better note, got some big news coming. Uh, 100th episode's coming around the corner, and we're going to be giving away a really nice headset. And the description of how that's going to work is going to be a lot like the 50th episode. We're going to put a code word somewhere in the episode, so... With the 100th episode, all you got to do is listen and then uh, send in the code word to the email that I'm going to provide. And yeah, I'm going to go fucking cry. <laughs> I maybe smoke a bowl or something. I don't know. But anyway, well, why don't you go outside and touch and or smoke some grass. And I'll see you guys next time on the comms.